Thank God it's free range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. a bet on a game knowing no one will score and make a sweat watching the greats dragging their feet on the floor is it ambitiously weak to be proficiently poor and still smile when on trial but still it's ace To your superiors to lighten the mood Or kowtow to your inferiors For fear you'll look rude If you don't, are your interiors As perfectly skewed as mine are Maybe I'll show you sometime But oh my god, it's ace Just look at my face I'm on top of the world Of course it is Why can't we travel in business class? Because life is Sweet. so neat, it can't be beat. It's this, life is decent, not bad. It's alright, yeah. UMFM, this is Thank God. It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Ellis. Kicking things off for us tonight, that's Dream Job, new single from Yard Act. Great to have some new music from them. Uh, We got a busy show for you tonight. Uh, Joe Gatto, comedian, uh, formerly of Impractical Jokers, coming to town. I spoke to him recently. And uh, Serena Ryder, who's going to be playing a Christmas show at Club Regent on December 8th. We'll have her on in a few minutes. Uh, Before we get to that, though, Alice Russell, 
one of my all-time favorite vocalists, Sarah Jazz Fest, years ago, uh, playing at the Pyramid. She's back with a new single called Rain, dropped on True Thoughts earlier this week. Can't wait to spin it for you. So here it is right now on 101.5 UMFM.
All right. Well, bringing her Merry Myths tour to the Club Region Casino here in Winnipeg on December 8th. Serena Ryder joins me on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going well. Now, as I understand it, there's a Winnipeg connection to the the title of this tour. Roberta Landreth gave you the tour name? She did. She's the coolest human of life. She's so talented. Um, And I actually started working with her through William Prince. Okay. um, Because he has used her artwork for a bunch of stuff, which is awesome. And I just think she's amazing. And we've done a bunch of work together before. And I was like, hey, let's I think she's perfect for a Christmas record too, or for any record really. Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) Um, But she listened to some recordings that I did and and just came up with, I was like, can you just send me a few words that, you know, you think of when you hear the songs. And so she sent me a big list of a bunch of different um, inspiration words that she found when she was listening. And one of them was uh, Mary myths. And I was like, yes. So that's yeah. So I'm naming the tour after because also oh, I love the the idea of the mythology behind things like where stories came from and and especially with Christmas. It's like, you know, there's such a long history of where the stories of what we believe to be Christmas now came from, you know, mm. like it's so cool. As a, as a performer and songwriter, are you someone who does kind of like the research? Like, do you look at like kind of the folklore and, and like history behind certain songs that are, you know, part of the canon of like a, a seasonal selections yeah it's so funny when people uh, that word canon of seasonal selection canon is it's the first time this year of my life my 40 years in the world that i've heard the word canon and it's always to do with christmas selection <laughs> which is funny but no this year um this is kind of the first year that i've been researching um the history of where this music has come from, um, which is really, really nice to be able to learn the stories behind the songs. I did I did do that once when I, because um, I usually write my own stuff, right? Mm, yeah. So, um, but I did do a bunch of research when I did a record. I guess it was like, oh my goodness, was it like 20 years ago? Holy cow. Um, I did an album called If Your Memory Serves You Well, and it was of a bunch of different Canadian cover songs from like 1867 to 1967 mm-hmm. yeah i'm boring myself you did okay. a christmas Anyways. record before though right in 2018 is that right i did a christmas record with um with bob ezrin that was really really fun yeah and that was it's called christmas kisses and i wrote the title track with one of my best friends simon wilcox and um yeah that that was really fun did you did you research like the history of Christmas tunes at, at that time, like putting that co- like collection together, or is this kind of like like you said, this is the year you started doing research on something like Christmas songs? This is the year I started doing research on like the mythology behind the Christmas songs. Mm. Uh, when it comes to who wrote what, or where they were, or what the songs were, or you know why they chose what they chose, or what was going on that year, you know, in the world, that's something I've always been interested in. Um, in in terms of you know like thinking about the context in which a song was written or who wrote it that kind of stuff you you've done a, your own interpretation of I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus and and reworked it and and flipped the gender, uh, mm-hmm. w- was that in kind of like looking at like the historical nature of some of these Christmas songs and like the like inherent sexism of them? Well, I mean, <laughs> there is that of course. I mean, for me, I feel like 
it's important to update a lot of things um, in this world, especially in, you know, cover songs and music and things like that. And that was definitely a, a really perfect and beautiful opportunity for that, you know, where I could just literally switch mommy to daddy. Um, Cause yeah, it needs to happen. <laughs> As far as, you know, building a set for, for a concert like this, do you ever, like, like do you want to include, like, stuff that's not Christmas songs? Or, or is it just, is there enough kind of stuff, material to, to build from within the world of Christmas? Or do you, do you kind of, like, try to give yourself a break from some of the Christmas songs and, and throw in some other stuff? The Christmas songs are actually the break for me, believe it or not, because it's always the freaking Serena Ryder show. Oh, okay. And my life is just like, right? It's like I write a song and I play it and I play it and I play it. And that's awesome and it's great. And I can put in other covers and stuff. But the thing that I love about this time of year is that I'm able to have a, it's almost like a vacation for me on stage. And I love singing kind of jazz influenced music. And I always have. And the melodies and also being able to play around with my band in a way that we don't normally get to do. It's It feels really celebratory and like a really beautiful experience for me. It's a vacation for me on stage. And also having a crowd there that knows the words to all the songs is pretty wonderful too. It gives an opportunity for people to sing together, you know? And that's something that's really rare. I feel like in this day and age, having a really big group of people in a room all singing together, there's something really medicinal about that that I love so much. And that makes me want to do a, a Christmas tour every year. The vacation aspect, is that in part because you're not like tapping into some of the same emotions you would normally have to tap into from the songs you've written? It's because I can go into more of a, a world of imagination. And um, it's almost like I'm telling myself the story rather than telling somebody else a story um, that I know very well, you know? Oh, so you're like the audience as much as you are the author versus exactly. when it's your songs, it's entirely the author. Exactly, yeah. So uh, your band, you mentioned, you know, that you get a chance to do some, like, jazzier things. Like, I have to imagine you chose your band based on their ability to, you know, play the Serena Ryder songs. Did you have a sense that they were also capable of doing the, like, jazzier Christmas numbers? I play with a lot of different players. Like I have a lot of different drummers that I play with, a lot of few different guitar players that I play with. Over the years, I'm like, I'm pretty poly when it comes to my band, <laughs> except for my bass player who's always around. He's amazing, Brian Kobayakawa. And I always play with amazing players. Um, so it's nice, yeah, like to get to play with different musicians and the musicians that I play with, pretty much can do anything which is nice and I feel like they feel like it's a it's a little vacation for them too you know where it's interesting like jazz music's pretty intense to play um it's it takes a lot um to be able to play jazz like I don't even I don't even try playing the guitar for this tour which is also another vac vacation for me where I get to like stand and actually be a crooner you know which is nice Speaking of vacations, did you get to go to your cottage in September and October? I'd read an interview you did with Cottage Country that, you know, you were, mm, you were touring I and did. then you were like, I'm going to probably be at my cottage in September, October. And that's the stillness allows me to like fill myself for a song. Did you get yeah. that opportunity and, and like has something come out of that break? Yeah, I had a really, really like I've been up at my cottage a bunch um, this fall, which has been wonderful. And for me, it's like, 
it's definitely a time to fill up. I think being in nature is one of the most important things for me. And I think for a lot of people being able to be in nature and, and what it does to just even calm your nervous system and fill you up. And um, for me, it's like kind of a time to let your field go fallow, you know, like to not feel like you need to create and you can just be somewhere and be calm. And, um, and yeah, I do feel like, um, I do feel much more filled up right now. And I feel like there's a lot more to give, which is really nice. Um, that's something that I've learned a lot more over the years is when to have time to fill yourself up so that you can give as well. Um, so I think this tour is going to have a lot of energy and uh, inspiration I have left over, you know, for the actual tour and for performing, because that's, that's creativity in itself too, right? Is, is being on stage and having that space to like actually share and be in, be in communication with people and be present and not be exhausted. <laughs> not many musicians get that um, chance because it's a, it's a really intense job, right? And um, a lot of people just kind of need to be constantly, constantly working. So I feel really grateful to be at a point in my career where I can take um, weekends here and there and, and go off to a cottage. And then I even have a cottage to go off to. It's, I feel really grateful. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the Haley's opening for you on this uh, show here in Winnipeg. It, was that something you chose or was that like a local promoter put that on the bill or? Yeah, the Haley's, they were sent to me as a, an option and I just love their vibe and I love their music and I'm really excited to see them play. I think it's going to be great. Is that so then across your kind of, you know, Western swing, then you've got local supports on each of the shows? Yeah, yeah. We, we try and get as many local acts as we can in the different places that we're going to. Um, and it's always really exciting for me to be able to see new musicians, you know, on tour because that's, you know, one of my favorite things to do is actually um, do uh, festivals and things so that I can meet other people and have collaborative experiences. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that part of this tour. Yeah, I was going to ask because, you know, obviously when you're on the road and touring, the opportunity to see other people's music is probably limited to, to you know, whoever's on the bill. So Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of, we're, you know, kind of starting to see year-end lists. Do you, you know, think about your what you've enjoyed over the course of the year? Is that something you do? It's so funny because I listen to mostly, like, vinyl. Mm. Um at home and I and I listen to kind of the same records over and over and over again uh so I don't really get that much of a year end on my on my Spotify um but I I basically for the last two years have been listening to Lydia Persaud's album Moody 31 since it came out I think it's been a year and a bit so if anyone is looking for probably the best album ever <laughs> <laughs> they should listen to Lydia Persaud's Moody 31, I think. I think I played some of that when it first came out. And it, she had a prior record too, right? Like like about four years ago. Is that right? Am I yeah. thinking the right thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, no, for sure. Uh, it's a strong recommendation of Lydia Persaud. That's P-E-R-S-A-U-D for, for if you're searching for it on the, mm -hmm. on the internet. Um, we've got the new single, I Saw Daddy Chris Kissing 
Santa Claus. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about making this song before we let you go, Serena. Yeah, for sure. So um, this experience was really amazing because um, I went into my studio, which is called Art House Studio in Toronto, and I was sitting across from the players. So there's Kevin Bright on the guitar, Brian Kobayakawa on the bass, and Davide Dorenzo on the drums. And my engineer was Dan Hosh or Hosh. And he, we just sat in a circle looking at each other without really any plan and ended up playing all live off the floor, looking at each other and having the best time. Like playing live off the floor is a very um, different way of recording. A lot of the time you end up doing tracks over tracks over tracks. So all of this is live and yeah, we just had the most amazing time um, recording it together. So recorded live, a good taste of what you'll get to see at Club Regent on the 8th. Uh, Serena, thanks for taking some time and safe travels on this tour. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, Dutch soul band The Tibbs with Ain't It Funny, new single from them via Record Kicks. Before that, Serena Ryder with I Saw Daddy Kissing Santa Claus. Don't forget, you can see Serena at Club Regent on December 8th. Coming up, someone you can see at the Burton Coming Theater on December 10th is Joe Gatto, stand-up comic. I spoke to him uh, right around U.S. Thanksgiving. We taped it uh, ahead of time because he is busy on the road. Uh, Before that, though, new single from Ghostly Kisses called Golden Eyes. Love this artist out of Montreal and uh, can't wait to hear more from the forthcoming full length. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
All right. Well, known for his TV show Impractical Jokers, now making a turn as a stand-up, Joe Gatto coming to the Burton Cumming Theater on December 10th. He joins me on the show. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So I, I guess my first question in, around the TV thing is, is there any transferable skill from making a show like Impractical Jokers to making stand-up? Yeah, just be funny. <laughs> I think that works. That helps. I mean, the TV show helped uh, serves in this purpose that people, if they liked me on the TV show, they'll like me in in real life because I didn't play a character. I was myself on the show. So you're getting a deeper dive of what you've already enjoyed. So uh, I think that that probably translates a little bit. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, an intro to me in a way where you get to see uh, my comedy and I get to tell you more stories and entertain you right uh, along with that same energy and personality you you're you're your authentic self regardless yeah, of venue yeah regardless of venue or I guess medium <laughs> right in terms of like you know putting a show like that together obviously you guys are conceiving of these stunts and and like kind of crafting ideas for that is is there anything to like putting together a set for for a stand-up yeah. that like is the same sort of thought about like how do I kind of build this yeah, yeah, of course. It's a, it's a craft that you have to write and, and, and create the same way you would write what your bit would be inside of a show, inside of a turn, like what your jokes are and what your kind of things are. I, I probably put it close to like we did a lot of those presentation bits and kind of the stories we try to tell through there and the jokes we would do of like setting up guys with that kind of thing. So there is there's definitely lots of crafting, um, but I think that bleeds from any type of comedy and content that we've done. You know, I, I've done sketch comedy. I've done improv comedy. I've done television i've done a movie i've done the stand-up and I, I feel like across the board with all of them from my approach to it is what story you're telling you know so i think that goes across how do you tell an entertaining story and i think that's the part that is probably a common thread across all uh medium is it more difficult to do it solo like like not to have you know a, a troupe or a group like whether you're doing sketch or yeah. you know film or something like there are other people involved in that whereas this it's entirely you it's there's differences, of course. I mean, there's there's things that make it different, better or worse. Is hard. It definitely was a transition for me because I've always been a collaborative person and working with a group of guys. So to be out there on your own and writing your own hour, being 100 um, percent responsible for the full 65 minutes when you're on stage, uh, you know, things of that nature definitely took a little taking to. But with it comes a sense of pride too, where like if the show's terrible, it was your fault, and if the show was great you know with your props so it's it really is like a different thing um and that was the biggest transition for me i wasn't it wasn't about performing live i performed live for a very long time it wasn't about you know um trying to be funny or figuring out that part of it it was more of like okay you're by yourself like how do you how do you present yourself in that fashion so i think that was that was the biggest transition but for me you know I, i'm very proud of this hour i've put it together i've been doing it for about a year and a half and i'm i've been very well received and it's been a great night, just people coming out to laugh together. Uh, so I'm very happy with it. What went into thinking about how to present yourself? Like when you're saying, you know, that was the the biggest hurdle was, you know, formulating yeah. how to, when it's, when it's just you, what were you trying to kind of like, are, are there things that you were reticent or reluctant to kind of explore or, you know, were you? No, I think, I think you try to, you want to. You know, it's funny because Q came to see my show. He hadn't seen my live show. He came to see me when I was in Charleston, North Carolina. And after the show, he told me, he was like, wow. He's like, that was really good because it was like, he's like, you nailed it because it was like I was hanging out with you and you were telling me stories. 
he's like, and that's how you're the funniest. Cause that's like, that was, that's our relationship. Me and Q, you know, me and my friends, like we, you know, it's shared experience and, and it's, I'm a storyteller. So he was like, he's like, that's what it felt like. He's like, it felt like you were sitting around a campfire and you were telling us stories and, and we were all laughing. He was like, so I, I think that was really when I was starting it. I was like, cause I'm not like a delivery of a joke kind of guy. Like I'll have, you know, I'll punch up my stories with jokes and whatnot, but I've been very fortunate with a very weird life that has some really rich stories in it. <laughs> so to fill up an hour was super easy um, of these crazy stories, especially when I tapped into all the different facets of my life, my friendship with the guys, growing up with a crazy Italian mother in Staten Island, my rescue dogs, being a parent, all these things hit on a different level, you know? So when you put them all together, it's a really, really fun and interesting uh, story to tell. So are you taking, you know, like the kernel of an idea, like, like an anecdote about, you know, an instance that happened with your mom or something, you know, with the dogs or something and thinking like, how do I kind of like, if I was going to sit down and tell this with my friends, how would I tell this story? Yeah. Without thinking yeah, like I do that. And then I expand. Yeah. I expand and you, you try different things to see what, what line works the best or what tags work to get you uh, to the right place. Um, you know, but then things in life just kind of happen too. And it's like, Oh, I got, I should tell this story on stage. I remember, you know, one of my big bits of my show, it's about now it turned into like a 20 minute segment of my show, which just started with me telling a story in the car to my friends, uh, you know, Jiggy and Steve, we were on the road and I had just come back from um, Disneyland and we went on this ride, uh, the Star Wars ride. And my son didn't understand. He was five years old. He didn't understand it was a ride. <laughs> so in the ride, you end up in a spaceship and it's a battle going on in the spaceship, the whole thing's shaking, whatever. And I look over, my son is hugging the guardrail and he just yells, I want to go back to earth. <laughs> and we were just laughing. And I was like, that's really bad. And then my friend, Steve was like, you know, Steve Byrne, who I do the podcast with two cool moms. He goes, Oh my God. He's like, you gotta tell that story on stage. And I was like, well, I just told you the story. He's like, yeah, but just do it. Just tell it. So now I got on stage that night and I just told it. And as I was telling it, of course, the more you tell the story, the more you get into it, the more details you remember. And I was like, I just laid it out more and more and painted this picture. And now it's probably one of my favorite stories I tell. And it just happened by me telling my friends a story in the car on the way to our next show. Do you, do you look to other people to tell you like, this is something that you can work on to stage? Like, like having, uh, you know, a fellow comedian who does this podcast with you that you're just, you're just telling like this crazy thing that happened. Yeah. You're not necessarily mining it for, for material. D does it help to have like, like a sounding board who's like, Hey, this, this one's got legs. Well, yeah, well, Steve Byrne is a, you know, a friend of mine, but also a very seasoned stand-up comedian. He's been doing it for a very long time. He's very funny. He knows how to do it. Um, it it's the reason why I picked him the first time I went out. I, you know, partnered up with Steve and Jiggy, um, this other comedian who are both very seasoned, no stand up, know how to craft an hour. And they helped me with that part of it. You know, it was more of like, uh, I wasn't worried about being funny. It was more about like, how do you put together this new stand up routine? Like, what is the routine? I had, I, it was very foreign to me. Besides just sitting there watching it, I've never presented it, right? Like, you could watch anything, and, but you don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was the thing. I was like, all right, how do I do this? And Steve, yeah, I was great at that. I remember, you know, the first weekend when I was in Appleton, Wisconsin, I did 35 minutes and Steve and Jiggy filled the other part of the time for me. And when I got off stage, I came to the back to the green room and Steve just flipped me off. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, you got it, man. He's like, he's like, you got it. Just, you just know how to be funny. You just keep telling stories and doing it. And just think about other stories you could tell. So then I just started building around that concept of just being like, okay, what stories can I tell? You mentioned that, you know, this, this initial story going to the Star Wars ride at, at Disneyland that like, it's just a brief thing. And then you've, you've built it out to being kind of like a, a larger thing. What goes into pacing when it comes to like, how do you figure out kind of what pace works when yeah. you're like, you know, broadening a story? Yeah. The pacing kind of 
I had a handle on pacing too because I had performed live, you know, with the guys on stage and I've taken stage before. So that part of it was fine. But I think there was definitely a confidence in the silence mm. where you could just sit for a minute and let it, you know, marinate with people and not be afraid of that. So I think that was a big thing. But when you have four guys on stage, that's hard because somebody gets inspired to say something else that's funny. You're building off each other's ideas. It kind of feels weird if I'll follow you up there and it's quiet. Like, so there's, that really wasn't, that. that is a different part of this that I was like, oh, okay, it's okay just to sit here and let everybody laugh for a moment and, you know, reflect on what was just said and imagine it in their mind, you know? So that was a different, definitely a different piece of the puzzle that was like a cool thing to have in your tool belt as a standup. How much flexibility do you build into a set, like, like to allow yourself to talk about something new or, you know, work in different material? Like, not much, not much, not much in the beginning, in the beginning I did, but now, uh, you know, it's pretty curated this, the hour I present, you know, every now and again, I'll start, you know, when I get into towns, I like to take to the streets and, you know, hit the local main street, mom and pop it, grab a cup of coffee, walk around, um, do some local shopping kind of stuff. So that, that part of it for me was definitely um, where I'll, I'll talk about my experiences at the opening of the show about being in town, a little bit of the local lore that I've experienced there. So that that for me is new. But then once I get into it, you know, I remember like when I did that, I wanted to try that Star Wars story. You know, I had to take out a different story. I was telling that I wasn't super fond of it. It was funny, but I, I felt like it wasn't as strong. And I'm glad I did that. So I had to remove something to start and try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, but now pretty much from start to finish, I have it pretty much figured out. So I want to com- take a complete pivot here and talk about Dog Rescue because you uh, are quite involved. Yeah. Uh, I know that like right after you play Winnipeg, you've got your first kind of fundraiser Christmas thing happening. Yes, um, the, the holiday party. The party, yeah. <laughs> How did you get involved with this? And it's it's specifically around senior dogs, right? Yeah, senior and unwanted dogs are basically where we where we where we do it. Which um, started with uh, our first rescue ten years ago, Biscotti. You know, we had our first dog Cannoli that we purchased, and we realized quickly she was a puppy mill dog, um, and I had to spend four thousand dollars to fix her. And it was it opened our eyes to the whole puppy mill and all these shelter dogs that need a home. And we were like, why aren't we adopting? And we just started basically getting addicted to helping these dogs because it's such a feel-good thing. So Gatto Pups and Friends, we started a year ago out of here on Long Island um, to actually have a bigger impact besides just collecting all these old dogs for ourselves. So now we try to find homes for these dogs. And we've just had our 56th adoption actually last month that we've adopted out a dog. And it's been great to find homes for these dogs and and do it. And it's fulfilling in a, in a different way. You know, now it's like a a real thing you know it's a real nonprofit operating out here with a real business business plan we have our adoption center in town and uh it's it's great it's really fun so you, you obviously you know started kind of getting your your own dogs and realized like that your home can only fill so many <laughs> yeah. spaces for these dogs at what point does that go from like an urge to like a cause pretty quickly actually mm-hmm. um you know it goes pretty quickly i mean during the pandemic i think when we're spending more time home mm-hmm. Um, and then when my wife and I separated for a while, when we we're going through our personal stuff, um, you know, she found solace in this and wanted to take it to the next level, which I agreed with. And we thought like, you know, this might be kind of cool to be able to help, especially now when, you know, your perspective changes, when the world shuts down a little bit about what's important. So we were figuring that out. And then, uh, now that we've done it, it was like, oh, this is really cool. And then we started putting events around it and make it like a whole thing, really being part of the community. Uh, which is my favorite part of it. Like, as I live out here on Glen in Glenhead and like the Glenhead elementary school, like came during their community day. And the second graders came to the, to the adoption center and met some of the dogs, learned about dog rescue. And I was like, this is really, really cool. It's like a different part to be able to, you know, have some impact in that regard. 
How much material has the has the dog experience provided you? Huh, so much, yeah. <laughs> so much. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, in my set, there's probably about fifteen to twenty minutes of dog stories. But I have so many dog stories. I mean, we have such so many characters with the senior dogs. They're just such characters, you know. These old one-eyed tongue hanging out blind dogs that are just walking around bumping into walls looking for belly pets like they're you know they're they're all these cute little dogs that we have we don't really do many big dogs because my house can't really uh handle that we have a couple but for the for the most part they're all these smaller dogs um all named after italian desserts and pasta dishes <laughs> because that's on brand for me so oh, you you mentioned you know getting this uh puppy mill dog to start like did that start the trend in terms of the the, the naming like once you yes. named it one it's yes, like we got to continue down this Yes, yeah. yes. Betsy wanted a dog, and I said we could get a dog if I get to name it. And she was like, "Oh, okay." So I named her Cannoli. And then when we got our second one, I was like, "I was like, well, the trend continues. I have to name these dogs. We could get it." And she's like, "Okay." So we got it, and we named Biscotti. And then you know we got Spumoni, Tartufo, Tiramisu, <laughs> Napoleon, Cupcake, the brother and sister Fettuccine Alfredo. You know we got a bunch. <laughs> so <laughs> sure enough. Uh, well, good luck with the uh, the fundraiser, the party. Uh, and thanks. safe travels uh, before you come here on the, the 10th of December at Burton's Coming Theatre. Uh, Joe, thanks very much for taking some time to join us on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to come up there and, and have some fun and for everybody to come out. So thank you for having me. My pleasure. Oh, no.
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, you just heard Postmodern Connection with If You Care from their new EP, A Welcome Change. 
a great Canadian band, also Canadian Autogram with Yesterday before uh, with that, with uh, music that humans can play. And we heard a new single from Demi Arosina coming out on Brownswood Records. That's Giles Peterson's label. You heard American Boy. Going to change tones a little, get into some uh, really lovely, moody folk and uh, roots-inspired stuff. Aura, and spelled A-U-R, has a new EP out, and uh, we're going to hear the track suddenly off of that. We've got something from Vera Sola's forthcoming LP. That's out in 2024 and more. Keep it locked here on Thank God It's Free Range. Suddenly the night ends Suddenly the day comes Suddenly the night ends I feel quiet again I go back to the fields and I Go back to the fields I go back to the nature like I Back to the fields and I feel quiet again, again. Suddenly the night ends, suddenly relief gave. Suddenly the fight ends, I found calm at last Staring at the hills, oh, steady hills My mind, it was in its will and ties the grass Say it's the sidewalk Exit the window Swear it's the door Bend down the ceiling 
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. You just heard a brand new single. Landed in my inbox this morning from Holly Humberstone and Muna. Sending that out to Hannah Taylor, who I know is a big Muna fan. If she's listening, that's the single, Into Your Room. Before that, Kristen Ludwig with On the Outside from her latest album on Oscar Street, Sunbeam. Vera Sola before that, and Aura starting things off with Suddenly from the EP. A few notes. Got time for a few more tracks before we hand things over to After 8 Radio. Uh, S.L. Hauser, Austin, Texas-based singer-songwriter, released the great song album Hibiscus earlier this year. I'm going to play you When I Want To, one of my favorite songs from that. Uh, and then we're going to kick things up a notch with uh, Schlindwein's Archangel from Pianoforte. And then a new single uh, featuring Pierre Quanders, past guest here on the show. It's Moonshine with Uprot Andy. Uh, it's Sequoia. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. Change my mind. 
toi je meurs Plaisir, désir Pour toi je pleure C'est pas toi qui respire Allez inspire Tiens le bambou, rien de trop doux Et ça mot tes mailles, C'est pas toi qui respire Allez inspire Si coyo, 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 si coyo